It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Flipping right along and green and growing. Good morning, hour two. Here with you until nine o'clock. I think for the rest of the month I get I get full shows. I'll be on six to nine. Uh, whenever the Georgia Bulldogs have a kickoff that's like 3.30, uh, like it has been and is going to be, that means pregame, you know, count back four hours. Pregame will start at 11.30. So, haha, Dave Baker's show gets cut short by half an hour. But I'm with you. Yeah, that made you laugh. Dave is so mean to me. So I like when I can make fun of him. He's probably listening on the way uh, in from Conyers right now. So, yeah, full show. And then Home Fix It show follows this 9 to 11.30 today. And then uh, Dog Talk pregame starts at 11.30. And, of course, we are playing host to Auburn. And I, th- I have a good feeling about today, too. 404-872-0750. Good morning to Boyd and Kimberly and Kay and Tariq all checking in on Facebook. I hope you will as well. Search Facebook for Green and Growing WSB. And there you can find kind of the things that I'm up to. Uh, a lot of pictures, a lot of identification, even questions that you have that I think may be common. And a lot of people are sharing those same concerns. And uh, just sharing information with each other there on the Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, too, uh, at Ashley Frasca WSB. Sometimes that's more traffic stuff. Um, but nevertheless, I still post garden things as well. But you have heard Mike Boozer talk about 285, and he says that's the top traffic story, and he says so for a reason. We've been warning you about we, what we are calling the Game of Cones Uh, here with the Georgia Department of Transportation, having to do this necessary uh, evil, uh, if you will, for the north side perimeter. So really, once you get 285 East coming out of Cobb County, you're just cruising along in your five lanes and you're all good. And then all of a sudden you get to Roswell Road, it's reduced to four, and then it's reduced to three. And you've got all that truck traffic and everything only getting through past Georgia 400 in three lanes headed eastbound. And don't you worry, westbound, if you travel between Doraville and Dunwoody over to Cobb County, this will also hit you in a week or two. But right now, just starting with the eastbound road work. And if you're wondering what they're doing, they're rebuilding the bridge decks over Glen Ridge Drive, 400, Peachtree, Dunwoody. So they're closing a couple of left lanes so that they can do that. And then eventually the shift will be to where they close some right lanes so they can rebuild those decks. But we've been talking about it all week long. And my colleagues, uh, Smile and Mark McKay and Doug Turnbull, even spoke with the DOT Commissioner Russell McMurray the other day to kind of better explain this and just prepare you for it. So if you've never listened to us for traffic, I think now may be a really good time to start giving you some alternate routes, at least telling you where the backups begin so that you're able to avoid that. If you want to see diagrams, a little bit better description of the project and all of that, yeah, follow me on social media um, at Ashley Frasca WSB on Twitter because I keep up with a lot of traffic information and crashes as they happen and stuff during morning drive. So hopefully just trying to help you out. So when my guests arrive, Julie Garrity and Tracy Gables, um, they each have their own cut flower gardens and their own businesses. Uh, Julie is owner of Hello Daisy Flower Farm, and Tracy is the owner of Retreat Lane Flowers. And they were on the show with me in the spring, and we had so much fun, and we got so many great questions from all of you about cut flowers. That is so trendy right now. And my friend Dr. Alan Armitage there at the University of Georgia, uh, retired, of course, but still extremely active in the horticulture industry, uh, has written a book as well and I think has updated editions uh, for cut flower gardens. So it's just really something unique. Uh, Many of you have probably been doing for years, but boy, after the pandemic, it really attracted a lot more people. So one of the things you can think about incorporating in a cut flower garden 
are bulbs, right? So you think about all these different kind of bulbs that you want to grow, flowers that come from tubers, bulbs, rhizomes, whatever. Um, eventually, all bulbs that you may have in your yard right now, irises, daffodils, whatever, they become overcrowded and they have to di- be divided. And that's what kind of intimidates folks. It's like, oh, I don't know how to divide these things. I don't know how to replant them. So kind of going over that right now, uh, the length of the time depends on the bulb's abil- ability to produce little bulblets, right? And that's when it really starts to become more overcrowded. So some can be undisturbed for years. Some really require dividing more often. So you can think about doing that every two or three years. But one piece of advice for what you're seeing right now with things like irises and stuff is you're seeing the foliage, the leaves start to turn yellow and wither. And that's going to be the best time to dig up bulbs and move them around is when it starts to yellow because they need to keep those leaves on there to give energy back to the plant. And so once the leaves start to wither and yellow, they're not really doing the bulb any good anymore. So go ahead and start digging those up and you can start replanting them. Like I have some irises that I'm definitely going to need to be moving because Pike Nursery is going to be coming to the front yard and doing all kinds of fun things. And I want to preserve my irises. So you can just gently pull most bulbs and corms apart. Um, Some tubers and rhizomes, if you're thinking about elephant ears and things, you have to cut into pieces. So you're going to really need a sharp knife. You have to kind of look at the eye, look at the little nose of the bulb and make sure every part that you cut has at least one or two little noses or eyes for it to be able to uh, put out, you know, for it to produce the next year. So thinking about splitting those, really just don't overthink it. Gently pull them apart, shake the soil off, that kind of thing. And they can be replanted immediately or stored later if you want to plant them. If you're storing bulbs, you want to store them in a dry place away from sunlight. Sometimes you can even put perlite in a container and the perlite will help absorb the moisture to keep them dry, preferably 60 to 65 degrees. So you're thinking your garage, your basement, that's the pretty standard temperature for something like that. And tender bulbs will need to be dug out in early fall and stored over winter. So you got to know which ones are going to be able to make it. Most bulbs, though, do stay in the ground. They overwinter just fine. They do need the chill hours, the cold temperatures uh, to be able to do what they need to do. And then, of course, come early spring, uh, daffodils are going to be one of the first things that we see. So as Tracy and Julie get settled in, I'm going to jump out to the phones and talk to you. 404-872-0750. All right. We got Harry calling from Lilburn. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I was wondering, I think asters would do better in my yard than bums. Is Should I wait till spring? I don't know if I can even find them in the spring to plant asters. I know they're out there now. Yeah. But should I cut the Should I cut the blooms off? Because I keep hearing the story that if you cut off the flowers this time, they'll be healthier next time because they won't spend any time making flowers. You know, so. I had New England asters, and I never cut them. Um, I probably should have deadheaded them, but I never did. You should be able to find them in the nurseries now, um, but I, I don't think it's too late to do whatever you would like for them. I mean, this is a great time of year for them. Are you having trouble finding them, or you have them? I, I haven't gone out that much to look for them, but I thought I would, and I thought I'd call and find out, is, is it is it they just going to be killed early because winter's coming, or should I wait till spring? And I said, I don't see them in the spring. Yeah, no, I'd go ahead and plant them out now, because you'll probably still get a, go, a good couple of months of enjoyment from them, Harry, for sure. And if, you, if I could ask you one more sure. question, please? Sure. I, I noticed my elephant ears have like yellow streaks, and some of them are just plain dying. Mm-hmm. And they get something that looks like rust on it or some kind of plague. And it's not on all of them, but just a few of them. I'm wondering what happened. 
I think that's normal. Mine started to yellow too a couple of weeks ago and it really started to bum me out. And I think it's kind of that perfect mix of the really like that. It, it was just seemed like a sudden drop really in the overnight temperatures getting so much cooler so quickly. We went from, you know, highs around 90 to then all of a sudden those overnight temperatures started getting down around 60 and 50. Um, so I think it was a little mix of that and us not having sufficient rainfall. So I do think the the things like that, the elephant ears and the tropical things like the uh, canna lilies and stuff, I think are just going to start to fade a little bit sooner. Wait till they yellow a little bit more and then you can cut them back. Thank you for that information. You're welcome. Yeah, no need to fret at all. I think they're just doing what they do. So, um, gosh, it's such a bummer, though, because they were so pretty just weeks ago and then all of a sudden just starting to fade. And, yeah, I mean, and sometimes you don't even have to cut them back. You know, just let them wither away and they're going to brown and shrink and you almost won't even know they're there. But if if you choose to overwinter uh, elephant ears and canna lilies and you're in Lilburn, I'm in Woodstock, so we're probably about as far north as one another. I think they overwinter just fine unless we have one severe winter that's really just going to be pretty detrimental to a lot of our things with as mild as the winters have been. I think they're going to be fine. What I do is just cover over them with uh, a layer of good mulch or pine straw or something like that, even leaves. If you're raking leaves around and you can just kind of put them in a row over where those elephant ears are planted, I think they'll overwinter just fine too. So Harry, thank you for the call. 404-872-0750. I've got my guests in studio. Plus, we'll talk talk to uh, Seth Hawkins with the Georgia Forestry Commission. Check in with him when we return for an update on the Georgia Leaf Watch. You're listening to WSB. All right, we're back on Green and Growing. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Pretty easy today and tomorrow. Carbon copies of one another, mostly sunny skies. Highs in the low to mid-70s. It's going to be a really pleasant afternoon, whether you're going to a North Georgia mountain drive or staying in Metro Atlanta. 404-872-0750. Back with us for the second time, and it's going to be five times this month. I can't wait. Seth Hawkins from the Georgia Forestry Commission. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Ashley. How are you this morning? Very good. Now, you and I have been doing this with the help of Stasia and your friends at the Georgia Forestry Commission. Now, this is our third season together, Seth, and this is so much fun getting to talk about the fall leaf report, right, and what foresters in North Georgia are seeing. And really, I mean, you guys, like, love it. You get to go out by the water and take some pictures and be up in the mountains. I mean, it's a tough job, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's one of those times we get to slow down and um, remember why we chose to work out in the woods and be foresters in the first place, just to appreciate that natural beauty. That's right. So now things are kind of starting to chug right along. Um, Where do we stand with, like, maybe the percentage of trees that we see in northwest or northeast Georgia that have changed? Is it it high yet? Uh, Yes, so we're really starting to get into, I guess, the first act. Um, If you, you know, look over in the really high elevations in the northeast part of the state, we're getting reports of 20, maybe even 25% leaf color change. So if you get up about above 3,000 feet over in the northeast and north central part of the state, that's where you're going to see the most leaf color change. We've obviously, we've got our maples coming in with reds and yellows. The tulip poplars are starting to come in with their soft yellows. Our sumacs are coming in along the roadways and trailways with their nice reds. Beech and birch, specifically over in the north central and northeast, northeast part of the state, are coming in with yellows. When you get over in the northwest part of the state, we're running a little behind, which is typical, just not the higher elevations, but we're looking at about 8 to maybe 10 or 15% color change above that 2,500-foot uh, mark in the northwest part of the state. 
And that's so great to hear you list off all of those trees and hickory and sweet gum and all of that because it felt like last week really the highlight was maybe some maples turning and some dogwoods. You know, those dogwoods are really becoming that deep burgundy, but now we're adding more and more to the list. Uh, Where do we stand as far as like, you know, not having a lot of rainfall right now, Seth? Is that going to be bad? Will the trees drop their leaves sooner or what's that? What effect is that going to have? Yeah, so it has been really dry the last few weeks, and so that could speed things along, kind of just make it a quicker transition with some trees. Really, ideally, we get some nice, soft little rains in the next, you know, coming weeks, and that'll help, you know, kind of make things a more vivid and gradual change. We're still on track for the last week of October, maybe first week of November in the lower elevations for it to be, quote, peak Mm -hmm. uh, leaf color change. But ideally, we get some light rain events. Hopefully, we don't get any big storms because that could take some of the leaves off. So we're kind of crossing our fingers, hoping for some light rain, and I'm hoping these nice, cool temperatures in the evenings keep on with this light, uh, calm weather. I hope so. And so you said that northeast is a little more colorful now than northwest. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and that's typical just because there's higher elevations in the northeast part of the state. So everything runs, you know, a week, maybe a little more than that sooner. So... Over there in the northeast part of the state, again, you get above 3,000 feet, and that's when you're going to see your best leaf color. However, I've been seeing quite a bit of maples and dogwoods in the lower elevations and more of the urban and suburban environments. In fact, one of our foresters said if you wanted to get off the highway over in northeast Georgia, pull over in the town of Tiger in Rayburn oh. County. they got a bunch of dogwoods that are in full leaf color change with their burgundies and reds right now. I was, I was going to ask you exactly like where to go in northeast Georgia, so I'm glad you mentioned that. The town of Tiger, interesting. Yeah, I mean, if there's a cluster of dogwoods, they look gorgeous, don't they? Yeah, the dogwoods really come in. Um, they're usually kind of, you know, them and sourwoods are usually the first ones to really come in with their red and let us know it's fall. And it's really interesting because that, you know, is a signal to the rest of the animals and insects and wildlife in the forest to know that, okay, the trees are shutting down for the fall and winter, so it's time for us to start doing our shutdown thing as well. So pretty cool that they're kind of the first signal to not only us, but also our wildlife neighbors and friends. Yeah, and a lot of bird migrations, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, too, so they're getting those signals, too. Well, really quickly, Seth, uh, give me a town or a city or a couple of places to hit up in the northwest. Yes, yeah, so in northwest Georgia, you know, if you get off um, I-75 in Resaca, take Highway 136 over towards Lookout Mountain. You can go up toward, up on Lookout, you can go over to Cloudland Canyon, check that out, and then if you wanted to make a big loop out of it, you could take Scenic Highway across Lookout over towards Point Park, then come back down either Ox Highway or come back over and come down Nickajack or Hogjile Road back into the cove out there in Mountain Cove Farms. So that was a beautiful drive. I actually did that personally the other day myself in my journeys, and um, it did not disappoint. Awesome, awesome. And I did LJ last weekend, and I know it's only getting better. Seth Hawkins with the Georgia Forestry Commission, thank you so much for checking in. Hey, thanks, Ashley. All right, we'll be talking to you next week. I look forward to it. Uh, check out the Georgia Forestry Commission's website. It is a fantastic resource for this kind of thing. When we come back, Julie and Tracy from Hello Daisy Flower Farm and Retreat Lane Flowers next on WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. All right. Green and growing on your radio dial right now. 95.5 WSB. 100 years old. Celebrated uh, 100 year or centennial. 
celebration back in March. So congratulations to the radio station still running off of that high. Uh, GATrees.org is the website. I just totally blanked when we were talking to Seth Hawkins and Georgia Forestry Commission. GATrees.org, and you can see some of the photos of the uh, leaf watch as the foresters are sharing them. And I have shared that on my Facebook page, too, as they give us those beautiful photos, uh, what trees Seth is talking about when he's talking about a sourwood or a tulip poplar or a dogwood, if you don't know what he's talking about. I have some of those pictures on my page right now. Green and growing WSB is what you search on Facebook. So, yeah, with me in studio and ready to talk to you, Tracy Gables from Retreat Lane Flowers and Julie Garrity from Hello Daisy Flower Farm. Good morning. Welcome back. Good, Good morning. morning. Oh my gosh, this is so fun. This we are, is the second yes. time this year. We are thrilled yeah. to be back. It's great. So Tracy, I'm going to start with you. Uh, <laughs> what's going on this time of year? What kind of things are you working on with flowers? Um, a lot of arrangements. We've been doing birthdays, corsages, and Course, yeah, for homecoming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is that time. Yes. People yeah. are starting to get into the wreaths, fall wreaths, dried arrangements. You're also starting a lot of seeds. Starting a lot of seeds, yeah. yes. So if you're starting seeds now, are you doing it indoors or planting things in the ground? Indoors. And, okay. And outside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A few things do better if you just direct seed them, but some we start now and then try to get them out in the garden before frost comes. You talked a little bit about, a little bit about this last week, I think, with vegetables, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same with flowers. You start them now, you get them established, they get their roots in the ground, you know, whether you direct sow or you transfer them out in about four weeks, ideally, before you get your first frost. And they have a better chance in the spring. You'll get better blooms, stronger plant, cool flowers. See, I think intuitively that kind of goes against what you would think. Because here you are putting this young plant that's maybe only five or six weeks old in the ground, you know, hoping to get that before the first frost. No, it doesn't work for every flower. Right. It has to be winter hardy. So you want to check your, your zone. So there's, yeah. But there's so many varieties. You can and we're start talking with. seed yeah. trays and lights oh, and the yeah. whole oh, nine. Yeah. I mean, Definitely. this is an ordeal, just like when people do vegetables. Yep. yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. Just like that. So, all right. And corsages and wreaths, uh, as Tracy mentioned. And Julie, I saw some of your pictures for friends of ours of dried fall wreaths. And oh my gosh, I just love the colors of this time of year, the color schemes, the, the materials you have to work with. How fun is that right now? It is so much fun. It's, you know, you get to really reap what you're sowing. You, you know, you, you work so hard, you plant them and you can continue the fun. You dry them. And I mean, it's just, it's like creative outlet. Yeah. It's so much fun to design. And I mean, yeah. you know, we hate to see our summer flowers fade. Yes. Um, and yeah. then you just kind of toss them in the compost pile, pull them up and toss them into the woods. And that's so sad. But y'all mm-hmm. are like, no, no, oh, not no. so fast. We no. save everything. That's amazing. Yes. So Tracy, what are some of your favorites to dry? My absolute favorite to dry are dahlias because that's mm-hmm. kind of my, yep. one of, definitely my favorite flower. Um, and I like to do it with silica gel. Um, I buy, buy a giant bag on Amazon. You can reuse it. You like put it in the oven if it's been used too much to reconstitute it. But the flowers dry beautifully. They, they're not crinkly. They look exactly it is like they did when they came amazing. from the garden. Amazing. Amazing. Because the different, different methods of drying produce different results with your flower. And yeah. now does that preserve the color too? Yeah. It does. They, mm-hmm. They'll change a little bit. They'll get a little more muted in their colors. But overall, I mean, they're just stunning. I did not know you could reuse the silica gel. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you buy a big bag on Amazon instead of using those little pouches that come in like a shoebox. So that would take you a lifetime to collect. Correct. Yes. And I don't know if you'll agree with me, Tracy, but I think there's a difference. You can use the gel, which are like the little, they're like little balls, Mm -hmm. really. And there's sand, which I prefer because I don't know. I just think it it doesn't leave any indentations in the flower. It looks Mm -hmm. more, um, you know, 
It's a little Original. more gentle, I guess. Yeah, I guess gentle. I am using the sand. I Are guess. you? Yeah, not the not the gel. Yeah. It calls it itself a gel, but I guess it's really like a sand. Yeah, it, it is a sand. So and it, it has color changing things, like it's yellow and then it turns purple when it's been used. Oh wow! Too much. Too much. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the process of something as delicate as a dahlia or anything else that you would dry. Um, when you're laying it in the silica, though, mm-hmm. do you bury the entire flower? Do you put the flower bloom side up and just lay it on the top? How do you strategically do that so that it can keep its integrity? Sure. So what I do is I get a like a deep Tupperware, um, you know, at least four inches. And it could be any size, depending on how many flowers you're doing. And I put a small, maybe half-inch layer of the silica down. And then I'll lay down my dahlias. I've done it with zinnias, celosia. Um, Queen Anne's lace dries beautifully. Oh, that's cool. It yes, does. it's so pretty. Try it with any flower, Herbs. snapdragons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, don't eat them after you've done that. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and then you just lightly sprinkle the sand on top so that you're not crushing the flowers because it gets very heavy. And then you just keep slowly sprinkling it until the entire flower is covered. Um, then you cover your whole Tupperware either with the lid or you can use saran wrap for three to five days. Okay. And then you slowly pour off the sand into a bag or a bucket, and then you have your flowers. Yeah. And do you need to... You know, put the the container then in dark, or does it matter? Like it doesn't matter. Yeah, since the flower is kind of dead already, mm-hmm. light and darkness probably they doesn't make a difference. They are super fragile when they come out, though. You definitely want to handle them with care, store them with care if you're not going to use them right away, because they mm-hmm. will tear easily. I think. So right. then, transferring them to an arrangement jewelry or mm-hmm. a wreath or something like yep. that. How do you do that and have it so delicate to where it stays intact? Very carefully. Yeah, <laughs> but you're using wire and stuff to kind of keep it in place, Mm-mm. or no? No, no, no. We use. Um, a special kind of glue, usually. Um, now, it depends on what you're going to use it for, too. You can, you know, if you're going to put it on a wreath, I'm probably going to use some floral glue, and I'll use it on the strongest part of the flower, okay. not on a petal. Um, but if you're going to, you know, use it to decorate, say, a piece of cardstock and make a card, which is really a cool, fun idea. I mean, we all, there's so many tidbits that I have, like, of just, you know, pieces that didn't make it into the wreath. They didn't mm-hmm. make the cut, but you don't <laughs> want to throw them away. Yeah. And um, yeah, you can use them on gift wrapping and that kind of stuff. You can just use regular white glue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Elmer's glue. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, a friend of mine, Norm Mitleider, who is a certified aesthetic pruner and Japanese maple expert, I go along to some Japanese type gardens around Metro Atlanta with him and watch him do his work. And he has introduced me to so many different kinds of maple trees, but I think it's cool. And and Norm, I hope if you're listening, I'm not uh, jumping the gun here, but he always sends me a Christmas card and it has a pressed, dried Japanese maple leaf. And I thought, see, now's the time you need to start thinking about picking those up. Absolutely. And I guess would the process be the same with drying leaves and pressing leaves? It would be, I I believe. Yeah, you want, you know, no moisture. You want to put it in between paper towels or wax paper. I use wax paper. And you don't, you can get a flower press, but you can also you do it, it by yeah. putting, you know, them inside of a book, mm-hmm. putting a bunch of like, you know, encyclopedias. Does anyone have those anymore? You know, I wonder that. <laughs> I seriously wonder that. Right. And but that's um, the best book. That's the heaviest right. book. Like mm-hmm. dictionaries, any hard um, cover thick books that you have, just stack them, weigh it down. And check on them. I mean, I get impatient. I'll check after a couple of days and I'm like, oh, it's looking good. Good yep. job. And I put them back. But, oh, it's just beautiful. And they're, I mean, yeah, same process, though, to answer your question. And uh, and Tracy, you talked about that as well. Give it three to five days. You know, try not yes. to get impatient when you're drying anything. Is there anything, I mean, I guess I'm thinking herbs, but mm-hmm. I don't know along the lines of flowers or whatever, that you would use the oven to dry anything or that's a little too much? Like if you put it on low, 150 well, or 200? Well, the thing with this silica mm-hmm. product that I get on Amazon, I think I have a link on my Instagram page to it. 
is you can also do it in the microwave. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're impatient or you need something right away, the quality that comes out isn't quite the same, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but it takes, you know, two or three minutes and then you're gonna, your flowers dry forever. Yeah. If you're going to dry citrus, like oh. I've done that, I've dried lemons and oranges for um, holiday arrangements and um, that you're going to use the oven for or a dehydrator if you're lucky enough to have one of those. But yeah, yeah it's like on really low heat for like at least four hours. It takes a long time, but yeah, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I remember talking to uh, one of the cafeteria managers over at Macedonia Elementary when I visited their mm -hmm. little vegetable garden. And a lot of the vegetables they grow there at the school, yeah. she uses in the kids' meals or at least gives them little samples to try eggplant or different things. Nice. And when she was talking about drying herbs to keep and use later, uh, put the oven at 200, I believe she said, mm -hmm. let it get to 200. And then once you put them on a cookie sheet in the oven, turn it off, but don't open the oven door for hours. You know, oh, So yeah, it's a process to kind of take all that yes. moisture out. Yeah. Um, if you have any questions about bulbs, flowers, seeds, anything that these ladies may be doing with cut flower gardens, and you're thinking, oh, they're probably shutting down shop. It's getting ready to get cold. That is not true. 404-872-0750 if you want to talk to Tracy and Julie. And Tracy, go ahead and tell us, you just mentioned your Instagram page. Mm -hmm. What do folks search? Um, Retreat Lane Flowers. Okay. And Julie, what about you? Oh, I'm just Hello Daisy dash flower farm or i believe it's underscore flower farm mm -hmm. and i'm on instagram and facebook or you can visit the website www.hellodaisyflowerfarm.com and then that way mm -hmm. when they go through the website then y'all kind of get together behind the scenes and think mm -hmm. okay orders are coming in yes we're going to help each other yeah you yes. know tracy grows what you may not and y'all complement each other so well thank mm -hmm. you Thank you. Yeah, Tracy, oh, well, we were talking about this on the drive-in. You know, I'm just thankful that she popped up and we were able to connect. And she's just, she's been a real asset. So I enjoy having her expertise. Yes, mm -hmm. we play to each other's strengths and weaknesses. Yep. We complement each other very well. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about dahlias, Tracy, um, what what is being done right now this time of year other than drying them? Like when do you actually start prepping for planting and transplanting or anything you may need to do to establish new ones? Well, soon. Right now, they're kind of at their peak. September, October mm -hmm. is when they, they just love this weather that we're having. So right now, every day, I'm going out and cutting buckets and buckets. Oh, wow. Um, drying so what fun. I can, you know, if, if we don't have arrangements or other things to do with them at the time. Um, it's pretty soon, usually about our the first week of November is when we get our first frost. Um, so once that happens and the plant dies down naturally, then I'll cut the base and then decide if I want to dig them up and divide them if I want to leave them in the ground for another year and just let them do their thing. Usually they get so big, especially after two or three years in the ground, you need to right. divide them or else the plant's not going to be healthy. That was my next question for you. You don't have to do it every year, no. but you'll mm -hmm. just kind of get the feel for two to three years is probably good. There are some bulbs mm -hmm. that you could wait five or six, you know, yeah. if you're needing to thin out an iris bed or something like that. That doesn't have to be done as often. But can you just tell by looking at the health of the plant, like it's just not what it should be? Sometimes. And if the plant doesn't look healthy, you need to dig it up and see what's going on. There might be rot. There could be um, there could be a vole or something that's gotten into it and mm. is eating on the tubers. Yeah. It might just not like the spot that it's in and it needs to move. And dahlias are so different, each variety. Sometimes you can start with one little tuber, which kind of looks like a finger. Mm -hmm. um, and that plant, it might just produce two tubers that year or some of them will produce 25. Wow. You just never Not know. Not consistent. And, yeah. it's, and, it's, and it multiplies. So if you leave that one that produces 25 in the ground for two or three years, you're going to have this ginormous clump 
when wow. you dig it up. And it yeah. really is going to do so much better if you divide it. Now, it's funny you mentioned vole damage because I know they go underground and they'll start to disturb the root system and all of that. Once mm-hmm. you've identified that, if you've dug up a dahlia and you've seen that, is it a mm-hmm. goner or can it come back from voles? No, it can come back. Good. Yes, absolutely. Okay. All right. I definitely have more questions for you guys. So stick around. 404-872-0750. It's Ashley Frasca with Julie Garrity and Tracy Gables talking seeds and tubers and bulbs and all kinds of fun things, thinking about flowers. Don't shut it down just because it's wintertime. There's so much going on, so much color in the garden. So we'll be right back with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. It's WSB. A beautiful weekend ahead for us. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing today, tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, mostly sunny skies. There is no rain in the foreseeable future in the forecast coming up. Highs around 74, 76 degrees as we go into the work week and lows around 50. Green Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. Number one, get out there and plant garlic. You can do it from an unpeeled clove. You don't have to buy anything from the nursery, just what you have from the grocery store. Now's the time. It's frost hardy and it matures in early summer. So you're going to put it in the ground and you talk about patience. You're going to have to wait until May or June for it to be ready. But plant one clove. Uh, one to three inches deep. And if you're going to do multiple six inches apart, mulch them. It helps protect from severe cold and conserving moisture, just like mulch would do in any vegetable garden. Number two, are you growing pumpkins? Well, keep them mulched and keep the weeds out as well. And be on the lookout for squash bugs and vine borers. You're definitely going to see the symptoms if you have those guys. Try not to use insecticides, though, because if they have flowers on the vine right now, you're going to need those pollinators to visit. You can pick off squash bugs when you see them. And number three, design on a budget. I did this one with Tracy and Julie in mind. Put out pumpkins, dried corn stalks, hay bales. You can pick up acorns and pine cones, uh, mums, pansies, of course, and viola is now starting to hit the nursery. And collect the colorful leaves as they fall. Press them like we were talking about in a book, maybe between wax paper. And from Pike Nursery, too, just this reminder to start planning to move your house plants from outside in. So, ladies, we have about a minute and we have stuff for show and tell. So I'm going to post a video when we're in the news break and Tina Douglas is doing the news. I Y'all have too much good stuff right in front of me <laughs> that people can't see. So I'm going to be posting that on the Green and Growing Facebook page and y'all can do it on your Instagrams too. Um, materials that you use. Like you just showed me the back of a wreath, Julie. What did you do to make the wreath? Well, normally I would use, um, you can use organic materials that you have lying around. If you have access to a grapevine, you can dry that out and make your own. I mean, it's really easy to do. You could, um, you just need it to be flexible. Another um, really good vine that everybody probably has growing in their yard that they don't love is Virginia creeper. Yeah. And that dries super great. So if you don't want to spend money, you can dry the vine, take the leaves and all the things off, wear gloves, dry it out, and you can wind it together and make your own wreath. So by itself, just one layer is kind of a thinner vine. Oh, yeah, yeah. You want to have several several vines. Wow. I would do at least four or five. And you've got a pumpkin here, too. I have a pumpkin, and we have... But back to the wreaths, 
I wanted to use um, stems, and, yeah. and I dried those out, and I made my base in a square from you know just stems. Yeah, a square get thrown away. Yeah, because you always think round, but why not square? Why not square? if you have straight stems? That's yeah. Right. And Tracy's got some ideas too, and we want to hear from you. We will get into what bulbs to be thinking about purchasing now, which ones mm-hmm. to plant, what flowers you're anticipating. When we come back, you're listening to Green and Growing. Stay tuned to WSB.